0: One of the earliest memories around Christmas for me was 1989. During that year, uh, I saw a movie called The Wizard. It's about three friends who travel from Utah to California to enter a video game competition. It was esports before esports was a thing. Introduced the world also to Super Mario Bros. 3, which was one of my favorite games as a kid. But the scene that really stuck in my mind that drove my Christmas longing was a scene in that movie where they met a a character by the name of Lucas Barton, who was a popular, very skilled video game player. And they had this very dramatic scene where he opens this box and out of this box came this device called the power glove. And he used it to play a video game called Rad Racer. It's basically a controller that you put on your hand. And it became the thing I wanted more than anything else in my entire life, And so I asked for it for Christmas. I anticipated that this was possible that I could get this for Christmas. And so I barely slept that Christmas Eve. And when light barely shone from the sky, I ran downstairs, began to look for a box large enough to be this power glove. And I tore open that box, not to find the glove at all finding Legos in its place. So I eventually went through all these different boxes, anything with my brother's name on it, I just tossed it aside, and I went through all more boxes, and I finally came to one last box. I was like, this, this can't be it, but I tore open one of the corners. I saw that, that emblem for Nintendo, and I did open it, but to my surprise, it wasn't the Power Glove, and I was very confused. What was this Game Boy? <laughs> it's the first year the Game Boy was released, and I remember that Christmas, not only because of my greatest longing when I was seven, but also one of the first Christmases I remember being deeply disappointed. Where was this glove that I deeply wanted? My parents couldn't find the glove. It was a very hot item because of the movie. And they got me instead a Game Boy that was newly released, and I had no idea what that was. What was this game Tetris? And what was this very annoying song that would not stop. And that Game Boy eventually, I realized in looking back, was way better than the Power Glove because, you know, you could bring the Game Boy wherever you wanted and play games, and the Power Glove, you had to attach to the system. It could really only really be played with a few games. This giving and receiving of gifts at Christmas is something we practiced because it points to the reality of a God who is a perfect giver of gifts, the giver of the ultimate gift. In Luke 2, 8 to 20, it's a story about shepherds who receive an announcement about this ultimate gift and what it means for all people. And we're going to look at this passage by focusing on a phrase in verse 10 and the two parts of it, good news and great joy. So that's how we're going to look at this Christmas story with the shepherds. We're going to look at what great news or good news is and how it results in great joy. Look with me at good news first in verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The scene is shepherds in a field on a very cold night, and an angel appears and makes an announcement. It makes a declaration. And this declaration is of good news. This phrase good news is at the heart of Christianity. It's where we get the word gospel. It's at the heart of Christmas. Christmas comes as an announcement of something that God has done, something that God is doing. It does not come as a command for you and for me to do something, which means we can say the heart of Christianity, the heart of Christmas, is good news, not good advice. This announcement, this gospel that we cling to at the heart of Christianity and at the heart of Christmas is not clean yourself up so that God will love you. That's good advice. The gospel isn't if you get your life back together and make yourself presentable, then you can be accepted by God and mankind. No, that's good advice. The gospel isn't work harder. That's good advice. The gospel isn't go out and make the world a better place. That's also good advice. But the good news is God acts. He works. That's why it's an announcement, not a command. He works despite us. And the content of this good news is described in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now we read this, if you're in the church, so many times it kind of misses how strange this little section and these few words might be. But it's weird that the child is born to the shepherds. Unto you, the shepherds. If this was a Christmas gift, it would have had a tag on its present saying to and from And it says, God's son, Jesus, is to the shepherds from God. And that's strange to us, if you're familiar with the overarching Christmas story, because usually it makes more sense for a child to be born to the parents, Mary and Joseph, to their family. They are the ones who receive the child in their family. But the announcement, this proclamation and declaration of good news is unto the shepherds. And this reminds us that this good news is not merely for Mary and Joseph he is also for all the people. And this is significant. Jesus is a gift for mankind, for those who receive him by faith, by trusting and believing this announcement is for you. That he comes to the shepherds is also a reminder to us that God comes to normal, everyday people. This represents how God continually works for through the lowly and humble. This is not just in the New Testament. This is throughout his entire historical work, he comes to people we least expect. This announcement doesn't go out to Caesar Augustus or Quirinius, the governor of Syria, as it mentioned in chapter 2. It speaks about how God in his reversal reminds us that he often works and cares for those the world least thinks about and often the world forgets. These three titles kind of help us understand why this is good news. God is describing Jesus as The son of David, the Christ, the Savior, the Lord. He's the son of David, also the Christ. Which isn't merely recognizing his historical lineage, where he comes from in the line of David, reminds us that God keeps his promises. From David's time all the way to Jesus' time. This would have gone through many kings, both good and bad. This would have gone through Israel's rejection of God, Israel's failure, to listen to prophets, their repentance, and then wandering again through various exiles, through Assyria and Babylon, through 450 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew. God has been faithful to keep this promise of a Christ, of an anointed one, one in the line of David. God keeps his promises. He's also a savior. He rescues, he delivers, not primarily through political means, Not through political might. Think about how important that is, not only for their time, but also for our time. Often power and victory is viewed through money, through military might, through political means, through innovation. This is a Savior who comes to deal with the final enemy, death itself. Jesus enters into our humanity to rescue us from the brokenness of humanity in death. He's also the Lord. This isn't a mere man. Jesus is fully man, but he's not like any other human savior. We're like the judges of old. He's the Lord. He's a savior. This means the coming king, this announcement of this child is that God himself has come and taken on human flesh. This is amazing thing. I often say this and quote, this is like a shoemaker becoming a shoe. This is a strange thing. This is a wondrous thing. How can this be, we are meant to ask. This is a Savior who delivers us out of death, who is a Christ, a Messiah, who is a reminder of God's promises and a coming King. This is the Lord, which indicates our Savior is not just human. He is the one who made everything out of nothing. This directly challenges the, the leaders and the culture of their time as well. If you read these titles into the context of Jesus' time, We know that Caesar was meant to be the one who is recognized as the one who brought peace. But how does Caesar bring peace? By the sword, by blood, by the shedding of lots of blood. But this peace that Jesus will bring comes not through the shedding of others' blood, as we'll see as you know the rest of the story of Christ. It comes through the shedding of his own. This is a king who doesn't come to rule by using his power to subject people, but laying down his power to save those who believe in him. He's the Lord who does not lord his, uh, his power, his ability, his position over others, but lays it down. Every time we look for, and we all look for this in different ways for peace, for leadership, for meaning, for security, and look for answers in our world, we look for somewhere, and we're meant to find those answers in Jesus, who is the Son of David, the Savior, the Christ, the Lord. We fail in our, even our best efforts in humanity to find peace and leadership and security. Even a a philosopher during uh, Luke's time writing, he said this about Caesar Augustus, While the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart, for which man yearns more than ever for outward peace. Jesus actually comes to answer this. These truths about Jesus, again, they cannot be earned or discovered by human intuition or effort. They cannot be discovered or understood unless God announces it to them, which is why the shepherds are so amazed. God has revealed this to them, just lowly, everyday people. This is why it's good news. It's an announcement of Jesus, who is our Christ, our anointed savior, our promised King, the Lord himself. In this good news, always results and leads to great joy. That's the second part we're going to look at. Great joy, look at verses 13 to 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This announcement happens in obscurity with shepherds in the middle of the night, not to a large stadium, but this great news that results in great joy cannot be contained, and so it results in worship from the heavens itself. The angels break through the heavens and sing. This is where we get the Christmas hymn, Glory in Excelsis Deo, right? Glory to God in the highest. This song is unique, and we keep singing it. It's one of those songs that's strange because it actually doesn't come up from man to heaven, it comes actually from the heavens to man. And so we're singing a heavenly song when we sing that song. Singing the song of angels, the song of angels that will be sung for eternity. Later, the shepherds encounter the child. They see the gift of God and the shepherds themselves then overflow in praise. Look at verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they heard and seen as they had been told them. So the shepherds, being told of this good news, They go and meet this child, and then in their encounter, this amazing scene of singing angels now begins to click, and they begin to understand what this means for them, and then it overflows in them having great joy. We all know cheap joy. We've all received gifts, even the greatest of gifts, right? Some of you are anticipating gifts tomorrow for Christmas, and maybe you'll get something that you don't particularly Find exciting. I don't know, maybe it's a piece of clothing, maybe it's a trinket you never asked for. But if you got, many people here would be very excited by this. If you got 10 years of access to Disneyland or Disney World, many of the adults in this room would be very overjoyed and have great joy in their lives, let alone children. We all know cheap gifts, but even the greatest of gifts. Eventually they run out, they wear out, they break or go out of style. But this gift that the shepherds began to understand of a Christ, of a Savior, of a Lord, it never changes because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This Christmas gift of Christ creates great joy because this joy doesn't come and go. It's not dependent on circumstances. It's secure because it's based not upon us and what we do or don't do. It's based upon the character of God and the promises of God. It's secure for us because the hope that we have in it isn't based upon our ability to hold on to it, but based upon what God has done and his ability to hold on to his children. It's not based upon what we do or don't. And that's why it's great news that results in great joy. It's what God has done for us, even while we rejected him, even while we are his enemies, even while we're far from him. And so if he can love us and gift us that, even in that, we have great hope and great joy. We have a Jesus who enters into our brokenness, into our loss, into our pain. That's why it results in great joy. You know, many of us, we look for God in the light. But often he is most present in the darkest of places. We often look for God at the mountaintop, but we're told that we have a shepherd who walks with us through the valley. This is a God of the manger. And if he's in the manger, if he actually entered into human existence with the low, he is one who can bring us to great hope and great joy. This is why the shepherds sing. The grace of God overflows in their gratitude. This is why singing is so essential to Christianity. We don't just do it to, to just do it because it's a practice we've always done. Because as we think about, as we behold this God, it results in an overflowing of joy. This is a story though, of good news and great joy that isn't just pointing back into historical events that God has worked for us. It's a contemporary story that's meant to invite us into something in our lives. It's inviting you to consider your role and your place in the, history of how God is working out good news of great joy. And so there's an invitation here. It's implied. And it's for all the people. It's inviting us thousands of years later, as God is still at work today as he was back then, to invite us into this great joy. Let me unpack two concluding invitations for us. Maybe you're invited today into this good news of great joy because you need to push back some fear. That is taken over in your heart, in your life. The shepherds, they first respond with great fear. When angels appear, the light of the angels caused them to have great fear. And that's striking to me. You know, most of the time, children, young children, I had this fear as a young child, are afraid of what? The dark. We're afraid when we can't see what's going on. But the shepherds are afraid of great light. And this is important in actually teaches us something about God and his holiness and glory. The light of glory causes fear for the shepherds. It always causes fear. Whenever angels appear, people are afraid because what light does is it, and if it's a gray light, if it's a heavenly light, it, what it reveals about you when you're in that presence of great light is that we are far from this great light and that we are not God. In this sense, of being far from God and not being right with God has existed since the fear of Adam and Eve after they ate of the fruit that they were not supposed to eat. This is why we, in the present time, are deathly afraid of failure. Many of us have this fear of failure or being forgotten. We are devastated often or afraid of being rejected. We are afraid of our future. We are afraid because we know we are not right. And when you see this great light, if you're in that presence, you realize we are not God. It shows us how far we are. And this Christmas story can transform great fear into great joy. And it can push back fear. Because in, your, in the presence of God in Christ, we know that this great light doesn't show us how, just how far we are. This great light covers us. He comes to us despite our failure, so we don't need to fear failure. He comes despite our rejection, so we never need to fear rejection. He's come to us as the Lord, the one who is over time, over history, so our future is secure. He comes to identify with us, so we never need to fear rejection. Christmas is a reminder that great joy, this great joy in Christ can push back any fears in our lives. Maybe that's the invitation you need to hear. Maybe you've followed Christ for many years and you still have fears, maybe new fears, maybe lingering fears that you need to push back as you wonder at the great news and great joy of Jesus. This is another invitation here. We see it reflected in how Mary responds to this encounter with the shepherds. Look at with me 18 and 19. And all who heard it, wondered at what the shepherds told them, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Notice there are two responses here in this story. Some, many people, all the people wondered at what the shepherds told them. But notice Mary's response was different. She didn't just wonder, she treasured. See, everyone can wonder at Christmas. Christmas is full of mystery glory, and beauty, even if you do not believe and do not yet trust all that Christmas represents in Jesus, there can still be wonder. But Christmas is an invitation. This good news is an announcement that invites us, like Mary, to ponder and treasure, to consider that this really is the Lord, the the Messiah, the King, by coming as a man, by coming through a feeding trough, to receive this gift through faith, by treasuring it. We often talk about the the joy of giving. This is something we've been trying to teach our kids. Janette and I actually were arguing about this in the car not long ago, talking about gifts and we were talking to our kids and how it's better to give than to receive, which is biblical. But I think what we do sometimes is overcompensate that and stop teaching that receiving is a part of the posture of Christians as well. And so we talk about giving, so important, But if you ask any of our kids, we ask my kids, right? is it better to give than to receive? If they're honest, they'll tell you, oh, it's so much better to get gifts on the Sunday morning of Christmas or the the Christmas morning. Many of us, I think this represents and as adults, as we become more confident in our, you know, what we've earned and our skills and our ability, many of us have a difficult time of receiving. We were doing this exercise even with our staff not long ago. We went around and we paired up and we tried to practice praising God for the things we see in the other person, the good things in the other person. And I can tell you all the staff felt incredibly awkward trying to compliment and praise one another and give thanks to God for one another because it's hard to receive as adults. But Christmas is an invitation to receive. And this posture of receiving means you have to admit, I need something that I cannot give of my own self. I need something I cannot earn on my own. I need something that no matter how much I've worked or studied or saved or trusted something else in this earth, it's not enough. It's actually a difficult thing because you need to admit as you receive from the Lord that you actually need from the Lord. And this is a gift of a Messiah, a Lord, a Savior, the Son of David, God's promises, because he didn't just stay in a cradle as we celebrate in Christmas This cradle led to a cross. Jesus died in our place. He rose, conquering that enemy. That's what he rescues us from, defeating death itself. And this cradle that leads to a cross, it doesn't even end there. We know it leads to an empty tomb as we celebrate Easter and leads finally to a crown. Maybe today is the day of you receive this great gift, this gift of good news that leads you to great joy, in your life. And I pray that that's true. I pray that's true for many of the kids. Maybe as you listen. That the gospel. Would be planted in your heart. For many of us. Maybe been around church. And we know about this. I pray that the spirit. Would lead you. To him. To receive Christ. And may that be true of us today. Let's pray together. Father help us to. Wonder. At this good news. To recover the posture and experience of those who are lowly like the shepherds and Mary and Anna and Elizabeth and Zechariah, all people who the world may never have looked at as significant, but you look at as significant. Let us find our place in this story through humility, through faith. Father, let us wonder at that because you have come to save And may that produce great joy. And may that overflow in our lives. May it overflow into our city. And may it overflow into the world. Because you are worthy of glory all over the place forever and ever. Amen.